Yeah, it's probably people's largest monthly or recurring payment is that mortgage. And it's there for, you know, 10, 15, typically 30 years. So it's, it's definitely a stressor from a psychological standpoint. But I think if people understand the, the mechanics, the basic finance of, of a mortgage and the broader picture of their finances, it can be less of a stressor and actually become a potential asset. Welcome to The Ripple Effect, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the minds of Wharton faculty. I'm your host, Dan Loney, and in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inspiration behind the groundbreaking research that Wharton professors have conducted and exploring how their findings resonate with the world today. Well, as we have hit the new year, many people look to make changes in their lives so that they can have a better lifestyle, but that can cover a variety of different elements. And when you think about one's finances, you can look at so many other different things to improve your financial health, even something like paying off your mortgage. Michael Roberts is a professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Michael, great to have you in the studio. Great to be here. So the element of paying off the mortgage, obviously, is something that so many people deal with. Uh, but right now, it's probably even in more focus of being able to handle it, especially with how interest rates have gone up. And that can obviously provide a lot of stress for people. Yeah, it's probably people's largest monthly or recurring payment is that mortgage. And it's there for, you know, 10, 15, typically 30 years. So it's, it's definitely a stressor uh, from a psychological standpoint. Um, but I think if people understand the, the mechanics, the basic finance of, of a mortgage and the broader picture of their finances, it can be less of a stressor and actually become a potential asset. How so? So I'll use myself as an example. Uh, we, we had bought a home seven, eight years ago and had refinanced into a mortgage that was 2.75%. Oh, God bless you for getting, yeah. for getting that low mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we then sold the house, but that's another story. Okay. So, so we had a 2.75% mortgage. Now, you know, three, four, five, six years ago, um, that was certainly low, but it wasn't low relative to what I could invest money in and earn basically a guaranteed or, or very safe return, right? If I put it in treasuries, I sure. wasn't earning 2%. I was lucky to get one. Yeah. Okay, but fast forward now, three years to today, and if you're sitting on a 2.75% mortgage and interest rates on treasury securities, for example, or CDs, yeah. are above five, well, that's an opportunity, Sure. right? So, you know, you want to... You want to think about a mortgage, you know, as rationally as we can in terms of our opportunity cost, right? If, I, if I'm paying 2.75 on a mortgage that I originated 5, 10 years ago, and now I can earn 5-plus basically guaranteed, yeah. there's really no incentive for me to pay that mortgage down. I'd be throwing away money effectively. Yeah. How much do people consider the elements of the benefit that they can gain from that type of scenario? Because I, I wonder if sometimes that's an element that is missed along the way at times. It is, and, and understandably so, because you know ultimately that decision is a broader trade-off. Sure. It's not just a simple, well, you know, I'm paying 275, I can earn five, it's obvious. Sure. We need to think about tax implications, right? Because yeah. I gotta pay taxes on any of my earnings. But 
as much as it, it pains me to admit it, I, I have to because it, I see it in myself. You know, there's a psychological value to not having what, what uh, academics like to call dead overhang in some yeah, sense, sure. right? Uh, being free and clear on the house and not having to make that monthly mortgage payment, there's a, a, there is a real psychological benefit to that. And depending upon your personal makeup, that might outweigh the additional money you could be making by not paying it down more quickly. And, and yeah, I guess it really ends up being the individual's decision, what their scenario is, because even something like paying off an extra $100 a month mortgage on your mortgage can be such a benefit longer term when you when you look down the road. No no doubt about it. You'll you'll shorten that mortgage, right? So you will be free and clear sooner. But but I I worry that some of the other benefits of of not paying down that mortgage and investing or saving that money sometimes get lost in the discussion. You know, one of the one of the issues with paying that mortgage down quickly is you're basically investing in the house, right? right. That's, you're reallocating your investment from a stock, stock market, bond market, whatever it, it may be, into real estate. And that can create problems. Number one, you can become incredibly under-diversified, right? If all your wealth is sitting in that house yeah. and anything happens to that one asset, you got a big problem. But number two, that's a highly illiquid asset. So you start plowing all that savings into the house and something bad happens, you know, medical emergency, whatever it may be, and you need money, you got a problem. Right. And in many cases, there's just not the flexibility with paying into that or paying extra into that than, say, you know, having the savings in, a, in any other type of account. Exactly. I, I can sell stocks instantly or bonds yeah. instantly. Uh, so you give up a lot of liquidity. You give up some diversification benefits when you go all in on the home. So I, I, I think people need to think about these other considerations in the context of their broader portfolio. It, it's also, I guess, part of the larger discussion about the element of saving that we have right now. And in many cases, this is a larger discussion about when we are younger, about financial literacy at younger ages when kids are coming up through school so they can be prepared for when they go out and get that first job. There's an element of that understanding that really plays a huge factor, isn't there? Yeah. Look, <laughs> I mean, one of the first things we do when we talk about financial literacy is, is we show the power of compounding, right? Saving $100 for me, now that I'm over 50, uh, you know, has a much smaller effect than had I saved that save $100 sure. when I was 21. Sure. And so just that basic understanding, you know, not, not, not a deep intricate knowledge of all the details of finance, but just a basic understanding of some basic financial principles when you're in high school or college can pay massive dividends, pun intended, going forward for years. It, it just, it's a huge stress reducer. Yeah. Are you a believer that, uh, that the beginning of the year is really a good time of the year to take stake of, of where you are and to kind of either adjust the plan that you have or kind of, you know, look longer term at the changes you need to make? Yeah, it doesn't have to be beginning of the year, but if that's what motivates people, then by all means, yes. I think a more disciplined approach, you know, every quarter, once every quarter, once every year to just take stock of, you know, where your finances are, you know, what where, where your expenses are headed, um, and whether or not you have enough liquidity today and whether or not you'll have enough savings in the future, it's, it's always 
a good time to have a look at that. Now, that's costly, right? I mean, we're busy people. Sure. But if we can do that, you know, a few times a year, it, again, it's just going to have huge benefits. And, and most likely what you're also doing at the same time is if you do it on a regular basis, especially if you're somebody that maybe hasn't had that background in the past of doing it and then gaining the greater understanding gives you that benefit over the next 5, 10, 20 years where you're able to make changes that can benefit you longer term. I mean, again, whether you're 50 or 20, there are elements of that that will play in no matter what age you are. No, absolutely. In fact, in fact, what, what I do is <laughs> I pay bills once a month. Yeah. On, and when I pay bills, rather than just paying the bills, I pay the bills and then I just do my budgeting and look at my investments and, and make sure nothing weird is happening. There, there's no great science to it. It's just a way to discipline me. So instead of spending 10 minutes paying bills, I spend an hour just sort of looking at what's going on. So you do that on, on a monthly basis? Once on, a month. Even with the investments? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I'm not doing anything fancy with my investments. Right. I'm simply looking, okay, am I on, on course to where I need to be when I retire or even before that, you know, where my kids go to school, go to college, sure. right? Am I on track? If not, what do I need to do? I need to save a little bit more. Can I spend a little bit more? Yeah. These sorts of things. What's the advice then you give for those people that are maybe having issues doing that right now? What's the path that they maybe need to consider, do you think? Okay. So, so my path to doing that was pure necessity. I, I basically got very lazy, didn't look at my finances, didn't think about what I was making and what I was spending, and frankly, ran into trouble. Now, fortunately, I married someone far more successful than myself, <laughs> and so it really wasn't a big deal for the family, but it was a big wake-up call for me. So rather than people having that sort of slap in the face, I think just the next time you're, you're paying your bills is to just pause and take a look at the bigger picture. Again, it's an hour at most. Yeah. And I think the other scenario that's being talked about a lot now uh, is the rising credit debt yeah. and the concern that maybe we have as a country right now on that rise and what that may mean over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to get into forecasting the macro economy. No. I leave that to Jeremy, <laughs> who's much better than me at that. But but what it does mean is, you know, if you're looking for a house now, you're paying 7%. Yeah. If you're lucky, maybe 6 And while there's lots of talk about, well, don't worry about it, interest rates are going to go down. Yeah. Well, look, if, if we knew where interest rates were headed, we could make a ton of money. The, sure. the reality is we don't know what's going to happen. So the real question is, are we prepared for what may happen in terms of how much money we have on hand, how much we have saved, et cetera? I, I, but even where interest rates are right now, mm -hmm. I think the, the safe expectation is we're not going to see two and three quarter, three percent, three and a half percent, maybe for a long, long time. So at least you can put that level of expectation in there right now with maybe some some wiggle room in there. hundred percent agree with that, Dan. In fact, my parents, I remember them paying 21% on their mortgage yes. in 81 when <laughs> rates were up at 15, 16%. Yeah. So, you know, 7%, people feel the world's falling apart hardly. On a historical perspective, that's not terribly high. How often do you think people think about their home as an investment? 
Do they do they think about it enough? No, not not often. And that that's why I brought up those two points earlier. That you need to think about your home as part of your savings, your investment portfolio. And so any equity in there, that's an investment. It's a risky investment, yeah. and it's an illiquid investment. Yeah. And I think the other part to it is when you go back to the time of the pandemic when we saw so many uh, – when we saw home prices rise as quickly as we did, I think people bought into the incredible value that was added to their properties and the fact that it was going to be there forever. There's never a guarantee that that's going to be the case. No. I'll, I mean, if we just have to go back to 2000, 2008, Eight, 2009 yeah. and the – for great financial crisis. Yeah, uh, real estate values can fall, and they can fall dramatically. What about the psychological benefits of having a focus on your, on your investments, on your funds, on your savings, and the benefit that that can provide you of being on top of that, of, of being truly prepared for as many eventualities as you can, as you can foresee in the future? I, I think it takes a balanced attitude. And what I mean by that is if you're looking at your investments on a daily basis, pulling your hair out because the stock market went down today, that, that's the wrong approach, right? I, I'm looking, making sure that my money's still there, that it hasn't been absconded or there's sure. an error. Sure. Right? Otherwise, I'm not, otherwise, I'm just leaving it. Uh, and so I, I, the, the approach... I'm really trying to encourage among people is one of awareness um, and knowledge more than you know some sort of strategic investing strategy because most of us are not professional traders. I'm not, despite my you know profession as an academic. I'm not a professional trader, so I'm really just trying to make sure my investments are structured in a way that they reflect my risk tolerance, my yeah. family's risk tolerance, and that they put me on a path to where I need to be. But let me touch on that as we wrap it up here, that importance of awareness and, and what that can bring to a, a person, a family, of just having that awareness and having, you know, just focusing on it at whether it's monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, but to have that awareness and the benefit that that can bring. Yeah, it's peace of mind. And that, to me, is invaluable, knowing that I'm going to be okay. Now, now, when you first do this for the first time, it can be a slap in the face sure. and scary. And I think that prevents people from taking that initial first step. But, boy, once you get on top of it, it's just a different world. Great to have you here. Thanks Thank very much, Michael. Thanks for having me. All the best. Michael Roberts, who's a professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more insightful conversations by subscribing to the Wharton School's Ripple Effect podcast on your favorite podcast platform.